morning, everyone. Man, it's so good to be here with y'all. Let me start off by saying you saw on the video announcements our Inspire event for all of our volunteers is coming up. Um, In-house internally, we call that our Thanksmas event. Say, what does that mean? We are combining Thanksgiving and Christmas for all of our volunteers. It would be our heart to have a Thanksgiving meal with all the volunteers in our church just to say thank you. Thank you for how you help us love people with the love of Jesus and carry out the mission of Jesus uh, at our church and in our community. Um, and we would love to have you all over Christmas so we could give you a gift and say thank you for the way that you serve. So Inspire is kind of the way to do that. We're going to have a meal with all our volunteers. We've got a gift for all our volunteers. They told me to tell you, volunteers, that you need to register by today. You can still come if you don't register by today. You just can't eat. Um, but so like if you want to come and eat, um, register by today. We'll still have a gift for you. Honestly, you can have my food if you forget to register, but that's only one. You can have Jamie's food. That's two. Yeah, Ryan says no. So like two more people can come who, who don't get... Um, who don't register, but like volunteers, we really want to spend that time with you. So please try to make time to be here if you can. Let me say this secondly, October wraps up Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, and on behalf of myself, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Mike, so many of our pastors, just thank you for your generosity and your love and your care and your cards um, and your cinnamon rolls and your biscuits and gravy and your pies and your cakes um, and all the stuff that you have given to us. It's been a wonderful month of feeling loved by our church. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say this at the end of Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, the vast majority of the staff at Journey, the ministry team, are women. And in our language, we don't call them pastors, but I promise you they have all of the shepherding and leadership responsibility of the men in our church, and we simply could not do what we do without the women on our staff, like my wife, Danielle, who leads our ministry team, Heidi Bailey, who leads our kids area, Becca, Becca Alvord, who leads our student area, Sherry Hennig, who leads our community outreach, um, all of our admin team, Sid, who leads our communications department. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Um, and in Pastor Appreciation Month, a lot of times, because of how our church is shaped, they don't get noticed or recognized or cards or emails or thank yous. Um, but from the bottom of my heart, I want you to know how much I appreciate the women on our ministry team loving and serving and leading our congregation. Um, and if you see that and appreciate that too, would you put your hands together today and just say thank you to all those ladies doing such an incredible job. Uh, we're in 1 John chapter 2 today. If you have your Bible or you have a, a smartphone where you can download the Bible app, 1 John chapter 2, you'll want to take notes today. It's going to be one of those types of Sundays. We're in week four of a series called Blessed Assurance. We're trying to answer this question, how can you know if you're really a Christian? How can you know if you're really a Christian? While you turn to 1 John chapter 2, I want to tell you this is going to be a note-taking day for those of you who are note-takers. So you may, in the next few minutes, just wring your hand out, kind of get it ready. We are going to learn more than I should teach in one message. But when I've been gone two weeks like I have, I feel like I need to catch up. So like these are going to be the best three messages I've crammed together um, in the past month. We're going to go fast. We're going to teach a lot. Before we jump into scripture, let me say to Coach Joe Esposito and his wife Mary, uh, who are journey people, just transplanted here from Las Vegas. Coach Joe's the associate head coach at UMKC. Uh, he's got a big group of his players today. I won't ask him to stand up because everybody behind him already knows um, where they're sitting because they are far taller than everyone in the auditorium. Um, thank you guys for being our special guest here today. Um, would you thank these guys for being with us today? Um, let me say this. If you don't have a basketball team you're rooting for, root for the Roos this year. If you don't have a Kansas City team that you cheer for and follow often. Uh, follow the ruse because they've got some good men leading them that are pouring into good young men um, in our community. So Coach Joe, thanks for being with us and bringing your guys with us today. All right, First John chapter 2, we're going to like go fast and kind of summarize as we go. We're going to start in verse 12. John, writing to the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, says, I'm writing to you, church, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of Jesus' name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Just to reset First John and what we're learning for those of you who might be brand new. John here is telling us that he's writing a book to Christians who are growing in their faith walk and who are growing in their relationship with Jesus. So he's got like 
Christian experience sprinkled all over these verses. Verse 12, I'm writing to people who've been forgiven. You've begun your spiritual journey. Verse 13, I'm writing to people who are beginning to know Jesus and understand that he is God from the beginning. I'm writing to you into verse 13 because you're, be- you're beginning to grow. You're beginning to overcome who you were before Jesus, and now you're becoming a new person. In verse 14, I'm writing to people who know that there's a God and are beginning to experience that God through his son, Jesus. You know the Father. You know the one from the beginning. That's referencing Jesus. He's writing to people who are beginning to study and learn the word of God so that they might know God's will for their life, and they're beginning to grow spiritually. So 1 John is written to Christians who desire to grow in their faith walk. 1 John is written to Christians who desire to grow in their relationship with us, which means this book's written to to us. To those of you who are here today, not because mom and dad drug you, but because you desire to grow in your faith walk. You come to church because you desire to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You come to church because you want to open the Bible and be taught. John's writing this book to us. And he starts off today's message in verse 15 by saying, For Christians trying to grow in their faith don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but for the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. John is saying for people who desire to grow in their faith walk, for people who desire to grow in their relationship with Jesus, there's a battle going on inside your soul. Because your love for the world is in competition with your love for Jesus. But he says here pretty succinctly, but Jesus is better. Jesus is better because Jesus is eternal and what Jesus offers is eternal. And everything that you achieve and receive in this world is one day going to go away. But if you choose Jesus, Jesus is better because Jesus is eternal. And in 1 John 5, 13, he says, this is how you can know you know Jesus. This is the theme verse of this entire series that we've been in. John says, I write these things referring to the book of 1 John to Christians growing in their faith walk, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know that you have eternal life. So John says people growing in their faith are in a battle because the world is battling for your soul. Jesus is battling for your soul. But he says choose Jesus because Jesus is better, and Jesus offers things that are eternal, and you can know that you have Jesus and eternal life if you know the things in this book. What are the things in this book? That's what we've been trying to study. There's an entire book of the Bible devoted to helping Christians know for sure that they're really Christians, to helping Christians know for sure that they're really going to live for eternity. And we've been studying this book. We're three weeks in now. If we were to do a quick review, we started with the true nature of salvation. We said, like, first, what is a Christian? And we said, if your Christianity is nothing more than a past commitment to a future promise, your Christianity is very, very incomplete. Your Christianity is very, very immature. If you think that you're a Christian just because you said a prayer one time in your past and you hope to go to heaven when you die, both of those things are a part of Christianity, but you're missing like the biggest part in the middle. So we said true salvation is a posture that you live in every day with Jesus. It's a person that you connect to every day. His name is Jesus. It's a proximity that you have to Jesus where you never drift far from him. We talked about the true nature of salvation. And 1 John tells us that people who've truly been saved can have six assurances in their life. The first assurance is the testimony of authentic faith. The testimony of authentic faith, we learn, says that Jesus proved that he was the son of God. Because he died, he was buried, and he rose again. He proved that he was the son of God. Which proves to us his message is true, that we're sinful, we're broken, we need a savior. And the message of authentic faith, the testimony of authentic faith is Jesus did everything that was required of us to be in a relationship with God that we could not do. Jesus was perfect because we could not be. Jesus was crucified because we did not want to be. So we said, now John taught us in 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is our propitiation, which means he is the satisfaction for what God needs to find in us. So the Bible literally presents Jesus as standing next to you before God, telling God, not you're a good guy, not you're a good girl, not you've done good things, but saying this, God, yes, they're a sinner, but I already died for their sin and you can't judge us both. God, they're not perfect, but I am and they asked to borrow my perfection. That is the testimony of authentic faith that we learned about. Assurance number two we learned last week with Pastor Jimmy Dodd, we learned about the grace of obedience. And listen really closely, we learned that spiritual obedience is not our responsibility in order to remain saved. Spiritual obedience is our response because we are saved. 
We don't do it so that we can be saved. We, we do it because we are saved. Spiritual obedience is not how we earn salvation, but it is evidence that we have received salvation. And we learn that it's the grace of obedience, which means God gave us the gift of loving us, so we give him the gift of obeying him. It's like a, a give, give, win, win relationship. And today we're going to talk about assurance number three, which is the assurance of endurance. We're going to talk about how real Christians endure spiritually, the assurance of endurance. And like I said, we're, we're going to go faster than probably we should. For those watching online, you may have to every now and then pause me, finish a note, and then play me again. For those of you in the house, you might have to go back and listen to it again this week. I'm going to pray. We're going to take a deep breath, and then we're going to get after it together. So bow your heads with me quickly. Take a deep breath. If you're planning to take notes, you might wring out your hand. God, we ask that you would help us today understand the assurance of endurance so that we might know for sure that we're Christians who have eternal life because we know for sure that we have Jesus. That's our prayer. We ask it today in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So, okay, so before we jump back into chapter 2, um, we need to change some language regarding how the church and Christians talk about salvation. There are, if you've grown up in church, there are three fa- phrases that you've probably heard that, that are all theologically true, but practically, they're just not good enough. They just don't hit the bullseye of what is accurate. Um, so I, I'm going to say we need to stop using these phrases Then I'm going to give you a new phrase that I have found that that I think best describes the assurance of endurance. The first phrase is the phrase, once saved, always saved. Bad phrase. Um, Theologically accurate, but it makes someone believe that if I said a prayer in my past, no matter how I live my life, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. I don't have to worry about anything. It's really a bad theological phrase, once saved, always saved. But we talk about that. We use that language in the church. Another phrase we use is the phrase eternal security. Again, it's, it's, not a, it's not a theologically incorrect phrase, but I believe it focuses more on trying to secure eternity than live in a relationship with Jesus. I just think it's an incomplete picture of why we actually come to faith and live with Jesus. So eternal security is not wrong. I just don't think it's the best phrase to explain the, the assurance of endurance. Um, the other phrase that you may have heard tossed around in theology, for those of you who have maybe been deep in the church, is perseverance of the saints. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that is theologically correct, but it appears to put all of the responsibility for salvation on people keeping their salvation. So I think it's a really bad phrase. So I'm going to steal a phrase that I heard Pastor J.D. Greer, one of my favorite authors and pastors. He was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention for a few years, the last three to five years. He said Christians, when explaining the assurance of endurance, should use this phrase, once saved, always following. He said that really is the heart of Christianity and this doctrine. Once saved, always following. And watch this. And while following, always safe. Once saved by Jesus, always following Jesus. That's the doctrine of the assurance of endurance. Once I'm saved by Jesus, I always follow Jesus. And all of us would say, while we're following Jesus, we feel safe with Jesus. There's not one of us who's been at a high point of our spiritual walk who's wondered whether or not we've lost our salvation. Because while you're following Jesus, you usually feel safe with Jesus. So I want to change the language that we use around the assurance of endurance and, and say probably the best way to say it would be this. Once you're saved by Jesus, you always follow Jesus, according to the Bible. And while you follow Jesus, you always feel safe with Jesus, according to the Bible. So we're going to unpack that concept a little bit today in 1 John chapter 2. And like I said, we're, we're going to fly. So here we go in verse 18. Here's what John says. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. We are not going to spend this entire message on these six verses. But I have to state very clearly for you what these six verses stated very clearly for us when it comes to doctrine and theology, and that is endurance truth number one. Walking away from the faith is evidence that you never had authentic faith. Some people talk about this, debate about this, wonder about this. 1 John 2 cannot make it any more clear if you walk away from the faith, you never had authentic faith. John said the Antichrist is coming, and he's already come. And he said, here's how we know the spirit of the Antichrist. They tell you there's another way to connect with God outside of Jesus. And anytime somebody tells you you can walk away from Jesus and still be connected to God, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. And then he says in verse 19, what cannot be said any clearer, they went out from us, but they didn't belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Evidence, truth, uh, endurance, truth number one, John is going to say clearly, walking away from your faith is evidence that you never really had authentic faith. So this is a big deal spiritually, but it's a very big deal to me spiritually. This issue in my life plagued me for the first 21, 22 years of my life. I grew up in the church, going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I tell people I don't have a drugs to glory testimony. The only drug story I had is my parents drug me to church every time the doors were open. Some of you have this same story. I grew up in a faith tradition that as I've studied enough theology and I've studied denominations, I grew up in a faith tradition that believed you could lose your salvation. I'll be really honest. I grew up in great churches, great pastors, great people, great Sunday school teachers. I never remember anybody teaching from the Bible that I could lose my salvation. I never remember anyone showing me in the Bible where the line was in the sand and when I had crossed over it. I never remember anyone telling me I had lost my salvation. There was just this culture that it could happen and it scared me to death. And I always wondered when I was there because I had a whole lot more sin than Bible study in my teenage years and college years. So I was always afraid that I lost my salvation. And when I finally got in seminary, my church history professor was teaching a little bit about the assurance of endurance. And I went to him and basically said, here's my story and could you help me? And I said, I've grown up this way and I, I, I think I believe you can lose your salvation. I can't prove it biblically, but I think I believe that and it's like haunted me, it's plagued me, so help me understand. And like once a week after class, we'd sit in his office and he would just unpack the scriptures to me. And he said, Christian, first and foremost, said, I want you to know I appreciate your heart. Because he said, most people at the seminary level, this is not personal for them. It's theological for them. And they're trying to learn this information so they can prove somebody else wrong. They're trying to be bullies. He said, I can tell you really want to know that Jesus loves you and you are with him. So I appreciate the sincerity of your heart. Let me say to you what he said to me. The purpose of this series is not to teach people in our church how to decide who are sheep and who are goats so that you can go around saying, they're a Christian, they're not. They're a Christian, they're not. And if you think that's the purpose of this series or you've been learning in this series so you can rule people out spiritually, stop it. It's not the point of this series. The point of 1 John was not to teach the church how to figure out who was a real Christian and who was not. The point of 1 John was to teach Christians how to have assurance in their faith so they could have intimacy with Jesus. So as I learned from Dr. Deemer what it meant to have the assurance of endurance, there was a personal step for me. I had to learn more biblical truth than I knew. I had to learn what the Bible said. There was a theological step for me. I had to learn the theology because as a future pastor, I wanted to be able to teach it to others. But there was a warning for me. If you take this information and become an arrogant, judgmental Christian of who is and who is not a Christian, you've missed the heart of Jesus totally. So this is a big deal for me that people who walk away from the faith give evidence that they, were, that they never had faith. I don't want to spend the entire message on it, but I do want to give you two more resources. Several more hours probably need to be set on this. If you got a bulletin today when you came in or if you have uh, the, the notes on your app, on the back of your bulletin, I'm going to drop a special podcast on our Activate platform on Monday, November 14th. 
on Hebrews 6, 1 through 12. It's the most difficult passage in the Bible that appears to teach you can lose your salvation. Not only that, it says once like you've come to Jesus, if you walk away, not only do you lose your salvation, you can't ever be saved again. It's what it appears to say in the English language. So I'll probably take 45 minutes to teach just through this text because it's the most difficult text in the New Testament for it appears to say that you can lose your salvation and you can never get it back. Don't have time to do it this morning. This is coming the 14th. If you download the podcast, um, you'll get it. We'll send out an email when it's recorded. For those of you who really want to dig deeper into the theology of this, you can get this book. Very small book, easy to read, sitting in an afternoon. It's by J.D. Greer, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, How to Know For Sure That You're Saved. In the introduction, he said nobody got saved more times than he did. He was baptized three different times because he just wanted to be sure that he was really saved. So this was a personal issue for him like me. This is a great little resource that will give you an extra 90 minutes that I don't have time for today. But what you're going to learn as we begin to study scripture together is we're going to learn the theological truth that people who walk away from the faith give evidence that they never had faith according to the Bible. What we're also going to learn today is endurance truth number two, that the greatest assurance of saving faith in your past, how do you know that it was real? The greatest assurance of eternal life in your future, how do you know for sure, is your present relationship to Jesus and his gospel. The greatest assurance for you today, to, how do I know if I'm really saved today, is not what you did in your past and it's not where you want to go in your future. It's how you're doing with Jesus today. You say, wait a minute, that sounds like works-based salvation. You're telling me today I can earn or lose my salvation. No, no, no. It's not works-based salvation, but it is life-based assurance. Because what the Bible is going to say is a Christian looks like this. And you can look in the mirror and say, not what did I do when I was six, not where do I hope to be when I'm 656, but like, where am I today? Does my life today prove that I am a follower of Jesus? John is going to lay this out for us in 1 John chapter 2. Let's keep reading verses 24 through 29. John said, as for you who've not walked away, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he's promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. But, he, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it's taught you, remain in him. And now, dear, ch dear, dear children, continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Six verses, one word in the English language that kind of holds these verses together. It's the word remain. In the Greek language, it's actually the word meno, M-E-N-O. In our English Bible, we see the word remain four times. The Bible was not originally written in English. The last 27 books of the New Testament of the Bible were written in Koine Greek. That means common Greek. When Alexander the Great conquered the world, he wanted to be able to ride his horse into any place that the Greeks had conquered and talk to people without an interpreter because he didn't trust them. So the whole world kind of learned Koine Greek. So everybody from Spain to China would have been able to read the New Testament when it was written. If you were educated, you could read Koine Greek. And the word in Koine Greek is "mino." It's a word that when you read it in Greek literature is translated this way. It's a state that begins but continues. Or it's a state that you make your home in. Minnow is what we hope our adult children do not do. Like minnow is like we don't want our kids to start living with us and then live with us the rest of our life. At some point, we hope they don't minnow. Minnow is I'm going to move in with mom and dad after college and I'm going like, to stay till they're dead and then I'm just going to take the house. So those of us with adult children, we know what minnow is. We're hoping our kids don't do that. Minnow is this thought that once I begin something, I stay with something. What we learn is Christianity is not asking Jesus into your heart to minnow with you. Christianity is accepting Jesus' invitation to live in his kingdom and minnowing with him. And it's interesting, when we read this, if we were to go back and kind of try to read it in the Greek, we'd see this word six times. Let's read through it again, get your pen ready. I'll show you the two places where it appears um, in the Greek where it's not in the English. Verse 24, as for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains. There it is, one. Six times in six verses to teach assurance. See that it remains in you. 
If it does, in the Greek it says there, if it does remain in you. That would be two, it's not in our English. If it does remain in you, two, you also will remain three in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, number four. And you don't need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him, five. And now, dear children, continue, that should be remain. It's the same word in the Greek. Minnow, I'm not sure why we changed it. And now, dear children, continue, that'd be six, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. You say, how can I know for sure that I'm a Christian? Christians stay close to Jesus. Christians remain with Jesus. You could say it this way. Christians remain Christians. How do you know who has authentic faith? Because Christians, according to the Bible, remain Christians according to the Bible. And as we kind of walk through this text today, and we look through New Testament scripture, we're going to see promises that affirm this truth. Christians remain Christians. We're going to see warnings that confirm this truth. Hey, Christians remain Christians. And we're going to see a person who allows us to stand firmly in this truth. Christians remain Christians. We're going to start in John chapter 6 with evidence number 1. We're going to see the promises of enduring faith. And we're going to start with what Jesus says about enduring faith. We're not going to ask our pastor. We're not going to ask our denominational leader. We're not going to ask our seminary professor. We're going to say, hey, Jesus, what do you say about people who become Christians staying Christians? Here's Jesus' first answer. John chapter 6, verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose how many? Okay, about 10% of you did that. How many? None. That I shall lose none of all those he's given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. Listen to me if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus is not going to lose you. Jesus is not going to leave you. Jesus is not going to set you aside. Jesus is not going to accept you and then later reject you. Jesus said, all those that are mine are going all the way with me. I'm not going to lose them and, and like they're not going to walk away. That's what Jesus says. I don't lose those that Jesus, that God gave to me. You say, yeah, but what about those who want to leave? What about people who decide to become Christians and then they change their mind? Are they allowed to leave? Because if they're not allowed to leave, they don't have free will. Jesus also talks about them in John chapter 10. Please listen now to biblical truth. Not what you've been taught, maybe from some pastor not using scripture. Listen to biblical truth. Not theory, biblical truth. Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. You say, what if people walk away from Jesus? They're not his sheep. His sheep follow him. Says who? Jesus. Where? John chapter 10. Jesus' sheep listen to him. They follow him. It's one of the evidences that they're really his sheep. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all of them and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. The, the promises of assurance and endurance are this. Jesus said, people who are Christians, I'm not going to lose them. They're not going to walk away. Satan can't steal them. Those are pretty good promises. Jesus is not going to lose you. You're not going to change your mind. Satan can't take you. That's what Jesus says about Christians. And the Apostle Paul, who was the great theologian of the first century church in Romans 8, kind of doubled down and helped us take a victory lap. In Romans 8, in this great theological treatise of salvation, says in verses 29 and 30, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. The word justify means he treats them like Jesus instead of the way they deserve to be treated. He treats them like Jesus' death paid for their sins. He treats them like Jesus' righteousness was enough for their righteousness. People he called to be Christian, he treats like Jesus. And those he justified, he also glorified. It doesn't say some of those Jesus called, he'll glorify. It doesn't say most of those Jesus called, he'll glorify. It said everyone who Jesus has called to follow him is one day going to be with him in eternity. Listen to these promises. Jesus is not going to lose you. 
You are not going to walk away. Satan can't steal you. Heaven is prepared for you. Somebody please say amen. Like those are tremendous promises from scripture. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's not going to lose you. You're not going to quit him. Satan can't steal you. Heaven is prepared for you. The Bible clearly states that once you are saved by Jesus, you're safe with Jesus. But here's the problem. A lot of people, when you ask them how they got saved, don't talk about a person, they talk about a prayer. When did you get saved? They'll tell you when they prayed instead of when they started a relationship with Jesus. And if you are saved by Jesus, you're safe with Jesus. But if you're saved by a prayer in a moment of time when you were emotional and you were hurting and you needed more and you were thinking about the end of your life in like you meant it in that 30 minutes, but then you've kind of forgot about it. If you're saved by a prayer, you're looking back saying, I don't even, I'm not sure I made that commitment. If you're saved by Jesus, you're safe with Jesus. Because he said he doesn't lose you. And he said you won't walk away. And he said Satan can't steal you. And he said heaven's prepared for you. Too many people base their salvation on a past commitment of a future blessing, but not a current relationship with Jesus. That's why John says it's so important to understand who Jesus is. So there's like these unbelievable promises. But then there is, number two, some warnings that, that bring theological tension into this message even as I'm teaching it today. There would be evidence, number two, warnings against falling away. There are enough verses in scripture that appear to tell you not to fall away that like our Western minds think it must be possible to fall away. Why would he keep telling us to not fall away if we couldn't fall away? Here's what you have to understand biblically in light of the promises that we just read. The warnings against falling away are not threats about losing your salvation. Instead, they're loving admonitions against believing you have real salvation when you really don't. Like the New Testament scriptures are not threatening you. They're loving you enough to tell you real salvation continues. Let me give you a picture of this. Um, Young guy who was in our church as a middle schooler all the way through high school into college. Incredible baseball player. Went and played baseball at the University of Arkansas. They made the College World Series last year. Danielle and I and our two kids, Pastor Ryan, his son Mason went up to watch them play Ole Miss last year in the College World Series. And they sent us the tickets, and and I've never had this happen before. They were only taking digital scans of your tickets on your phone, not paper tickets. But every time I got the ticket scan sent to me, it would say an image of this picture, a picture, a picture of an image of this ticket, or a picture of this ticket will not work. It has to be the live ticket because it had like this scrolling barcode to make sure that like you could not steal the ticket. And like when it sent it to me, it was like, "Here's your tickets. Warning." An image of this ticket will not work. It has to be the live ticket. Like two days before the game. You're 48 hours from the game. Remember, an image of this ticket will not work. It has to be the real ticket. Day before the game. You're 24 hours to the game. Every time it's in an hour before the game. Gates are now open for check-in. Remember, an image of this ticket is not the real thing. You need the live ticket. It was not trying to threaten me that I could not get in. It was just telling me what was required of real admission. And what the New Testament is doing for us, it's not threatening us that I, I swear if you don't stay close to Jesus, I'm taking your ticket. The New Testament is saying the real ticket looks like this. It endures until the end. Don't bring the wrong type of ticket. The real ticket endures till the end. But man, the warnings are strong, starting with Jesus. Jesus would say in Matthew 10, 22, um, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. A lot of people want to reverse engineer this verse and say, look, right there, Jesus said, like, if you don't, if you don't stay till the end, um, like, you will have lost your salvation. That's not what Jesus said at all. You cannot reverse engineer this verse. If you do, you have to reverse engineer the entire thing. You have to say this, if you're not hated by everyone, you must not be a real Christian. Because Jesus said you'll be hated by everyone. So if we reverse engineer the verse, not everyone I know hates me, I must not be a real Christian. You can't reverse engineer that. Jesus also didn't say you'd lose your salvation anywhere in that verse. He just said that real Christians make it all the way to the end of their life following Jesus. That's all he's saying there. He said, Christians, man, why would the Bible give assurances and warnings? Because they're both needed. Assurances without warning, I think, would lead to flippancy in any relationship that we had. 
If your boss came to you and said, I want you to know, here's your salary. I'm actually going to give it to you all on January 1st. Um, and you don't have to talk to me. You don't have to come in. There's actually no work to do. I just trust you implicitly. Um, would that make you more or less likely to maybe drift a little bit? See, assurances without warnings, I don't believe they build intimacy. I think they create distance. On the other hand, warnings without assurances breed fear. I swear to God, if you get this wrong, you're out. In the New Testament, we see assurances that build our faith and warnings that fortify our faith. This is how they taught it in the early church. If you go to Acts 13, as the church is spreading in the book of Acts, we meet Paul and Barnabas. They're in a town called Pisidian Antioch. There were two Antiochs in the New Testament era. One was in Turkey, one was in Syria. This one in Acts chapter 13 is in Turkey. They're preaching there about who Jesus is, and a large number of people decide to start following Jesus. And it says in Acts 13, 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. They were helping them understand Christianity is not a decision you make. Hey, I'm glad you raised your hand. I'm glad you came forward. I'm glad you filled out the card and got the t-shirt. That's awesome. However, real Christianity is continuing with Jesus. In Acts chapter 14, they would go back to churches they had started where great revival had broken out, but they'd not been there in over a year. And it says in verse 21, they went to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. That was the Antioch in Syria. And what were they doing to these people who years ago had made a spiritual decision? They were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. They were telling them, like, listen, real Christians remain true to the faith. You don't just make a decision at a revival when everyone else is making decisions and then kind of let it go. Real Christians really kind of stay firm with Jesus. In one of the last epistles in our New Testament, right before the book of Revelation, we have a page called Jude. It's more a note than a letter in our Bible. And one of the last New Testament teachers is teaching Christians in the early church, real Christians make it all the way. Verse 20, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Like your eternal salvation could be a long time from now, but authentic Christians, man, they just keep pressing in every day with Jesus. In Matthew 25, we hear a parable about 10 virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come and take them away, and five of them have enough oil to get through one night and the next night, and five run out, and we see that five were left outside the kingdom of God it wasn't that they had lost their salvation, but them running out of endurance proved that their heart was never in it to the bridegroom. So we see this theme over and over again of the assurance of endurance. And make sure you don't miss it in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. The great author of the book of Hebrews, what a great teacher he was, says, We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. How do you know who's really saved? They stay saved. How do you know who's really following Jesus? They keep following Jesus according to the Bible. I think this is a pretty cool, honestly, I think, I think it's a pretty cool thought process after hearing the promises, Jesus won't lose you. You won't walk away. Satan can't steal you. Um, heaven is prepared for you. After all that to realize, but in your flesh every now and then, you may just want to call it in. Warning. Real Christians don't do that. The message is not warning, you'll lose your salvation. The question is warning. Real Christians don't do that. I believe the warning against falling away spiritually actually creates evidence that we've not fallen away spiritually. For those of you sitting in here saying, man, I thought I was a Christian in high school, I walked with God. In college, I walked with God, but I don't anymore. For those of you in here wondering, am I really a Christian or am I not really a Christian? The, sign, the, the fact that you're wondering that question probably means that you really are a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit will always be inside a Christian. Even when we're our furthest from God, the Holy Spirit will be inside us saying, we've got to do better, we've got to come back. Real Christians don't walk away. Real, Christian, real Christians don't quit. Real Christians endure to the end. The fact that you're wondering, am I still a Christian, means that you probably are. If you're not, you don't care at all. So the fact that you care may just mean that you need to come back closer to Jesus. And that is evidence number three. And the whole message and theology is going to hinge on this point. Your position with Jesus and his gospel. It's the assurance of your position to Jesus and his gospel. 
And if you haven't heard anything yet, tune in for the next three minutes because I think this next point on your sermon notes is where a mistake gets made if there's been a mistake or where clarity needs to come if you don't have clarity. Authentic faith is not an invitation to live in a place. It's an invitation to live with a person. If you became a Christian because you want to go to heaven, please hear me. Authentic Christianity is not an invitation to live in a place. It's an invitation to live with a person. And most people where they really get confused is someone has told them, if you want to go to heaven, do this. And who doesn't want to go to heaven if it's real? They're like, yeah, I want to do that. So they make a commitment not to live for Jesus or with Jesus, but to go to heaven because who doesn't make a commitment to go to heaven if you, like, if you can? And they miss the entire point. I'll age myself. And for those of you under the age of 45, just ask your grandma when you get home and she'll explain this um, to you. Um, so like the holidays are getting close. I love the holidays. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. This is my favorite season of the year. My Christmas lights are already on my house. I'm just trying to figure out when, I'm, when I can turn them on without my neighbors talking about me behind me back. Like I love, I love the holidays. Um, back in the day when you were going Christmas shopping, you could go to a department store and get something you couldn't pay for and take it to the customer service counter and you could put it on. All right, lots of old people in the room. That's good. I'm, like, I'm glad some of you are with me. You get something that you can't afford, you put it on layaway because you're going to come back and get it later. And between the point of putting it on layaway and that day and, and the day you need to pick it up, as much as you can, you go in and you make payments on it. And when you've made your final payment, you get it and you can give your gift to somebody. There are too many people who see salvation as putting heaven on layaway and then using the rest of your life to make payments, hoping that you can pay it off before the end of your life. Like somebody's told you you can receive this gift of heaven, and you're like, yes, I would love that. I'm going to put it on layaway, and the rest of my life I'm going to go on a mission trip. That's got to make a dent in it. And I'm going to give in the offering, especially if we're given to kids in other countries. That's, that's, that's really got to put a dent in it. Um, and I'm going to give away turkeys at Thanksgiving. Jesus would do that. And I might teach Sunday school to the kids. And I'm going to be a greeter. And we use our whole life trying to figure out how we can pay off this gift that we want. That's called earning your salvation. And that is not what the Bible teaches about Christianity. Christianity is not putting heaven on layaway and then using the rest of your life to try to earn it. Christianity is accepting an invitation to live in a relationship with a man named Jesus. And like every day of your life, waking up and trying to stay close to him. And every night before you go to bed, having a reality check of whether or not you stay close to him. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you, the one and only God, in Jesus, his son who you sent. Not a place, a person. This is eternal life, knowing Jesus. Not a place, a person. This is eternal life. Not a place, a person. This is eternal life. That's the point of the message. The question is, how do we practice that? If the assurance of my faith is that every day I'm with Jesus, Christian, let me be honest with you, I really don't ha know how to be with Jesus every day. Like, do we come to church every day? Do I have to listen to Caleb? Like, what, like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Every, like, what does it mean? Bot radio? Like, what, like what, what does it mean every day to spend time with Jesus? The point is eternal life is a person. The practice of eternal life as a person we're going to look at together as a church in January. Because that's the goal of our entire 2023 year, to learn how to walk with Jesus every day. Because walking with Jesus is eternal life. In December as a church, this series will carry us through the Sunday after Thanksgiving. In December, we'll study the 23rd Psalm together as a church. It's going to be an awesome month studying about Jesus as shepherd. In November, we're going to study John 15 together. In, in January, we're going to study John 15 together. In a series that's just called Thrive. Because Jesus says, if you want to thrive spiritually, if you want to know that I'm with you, you just got to stay close to me. So we're going to teach you how to do that. Let me give you a little preview, a couple of verses, and then we'll be done. 
John chapter 15, listen to Jesus talk. Sounds a whole lot like John in 1 John chapter 2. Jesus says in verse 15, there's that Greek word again, minnow. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain, 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 remain. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do I know for sure that I'm a Christian? Well, you walk with Jesus. That's what Christians do. Christians walk with Jesus. Let's wrap it back around to 1 John chapter 2. Awesome connection. I wish we were reading in Greek. We'd, we'd see it better then. 1 John 2, 17, remember this verse? The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Anyone want to take a stab what the Greek word lives is? Minnow. The world and its desires pass away. But the one who does the will of God, will they just remain with Jesus forever? So how's that going for you? As we close our service today, we always want to have a moment of reflection. The goal of this three-minute period is for you to take what you've heard, think about it, and then answer the question and turn the answer into a prayer. So in just a second, I'll pray. And while the band just kind of plays quietly behind us, there'll be three reflection questions that roll on the screen, each for 60 seconds. There'll be a three-minute countdown video, and at the minute, they'll change. My goal for this part of the message is that instead of walking out thinking, hey, that was interesting, that you would now apply it directly to your life by answering the question and turn your answer into a prayer of what you need God to do in you or what you need to do to remain in Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not sure you're a Christian or you know you're not and you'd like to be, I'll come up at the end of three minutes. I'll lead you in a prayer that will allow you to step into Jesus' kingdom. And then as a church, we'd love to come alongside you and begin to disciple you. Jesus, as we reflect on what we've learned, apply it to our lives. I pray you just speak to our hearts. Allow the answers to these questions to become the prayers that build our faith. That's our prayer, and we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen.
today and you say, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I did pray a prayer. I do want to go to heaven. My life is not about Jesus. What's crazy is the prayer to come to Jesus and the prayer to come back to Jesus look the exact same. And maybe you and Jesus are the only one who know which one is real. Maybe time will prove which one is real. But if you're here today and you've not been living close to Jesus, if you question your salvation or you know for sure, like, I don't think I'm a Christian if that's what the Bible says, then today I want to give you the invitation of Jesus to step into his kingdom, to remain in him from this day forward and to let him remain in you, to live the life he created you for and experience the life that he wants you to have, to let him be by your side for the rest of your life. If you've never done that today, you can receive Christ through prayer commit to follow Christ through prayer and then just by putting one foot after the other walk with Jesus every day for the rest of your life so would you bow your heads and pray with me if you're here today you're not sure that you're a Christian or you know that you're not and you need to come back these prayers look the same would you just from your heart to heaven you don't have to pray it out loud would you just say something like this God today I need to experience the salvation of Jesus so by faith which means I don't understand it all. But I desire to live with Jesus in my life. Today, by faith, I receive your invitation to live in your kingdom with Jesus as my Savior and my leader. I ask that you would forgive me for my sin, cleanse me of my past, heal me of the hurts, lead me into my future. Today, I want to commit to follow Jesus, to live with Jesus, to remain in Jesus. And I want the assurance of my salvation through my relationship with Jesus. Thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, and for saving heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me, in just a second, we'll let you know how you can tell us. We'd love to follow up with you, give you some resources to help you spend your first few days remaining in Jesus. And God, we as a congregation today, we just really thank you for 1 John chapter 2. It's great scripture. We're grateful John taught the church how they could have assurance. Thank you for what you taught us today. Thank you for your promises that assurance brings intimacy. Thank you for your warnings. That clarity brings seriousness. But thank you most of all for the person of Jesus. May we remain in him. The world and its desires are going to pass away. But he who does the will of God, they minnow. They remain with Jesus forever. Let this be the first day or the next day of our forever relationship with Jesus. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.